Hello and welcome to Equipped. We are a ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Norman. Designed as another resource to help you engage our culture with the truth and grace of Jesus. I'm here with uh, with Ryan Polk. Hi, Ryan. Hey, man. I'm Curtis Winkle. Ryan, we've got some special guests in town today. You want to talk about these guys? Yeah. Uh, joining us today is going to be Tristan Martin. He's the senior pastor of Alameda Baptist Church <laughs> hey, in Tristan. Norman. And it was also a former youth pastor of Trinity and member of Trinity. Yeah. And then Jonathan Wood, who is, John, what's your title? So I'm vice president for student life and Christian ministries at Cedarville University. All right. And John, also a former member of Trinity when he was in college at OU and also uh, my brother-in-law. So they're joining us today. Okay. Um, Tristan, why don't you tell us a little bit about your, your new church, Alameda Baptist, for those who haven't been able to connect with you since you since you left. Sure. Uh, started at Alameda as the pastor in January of 2018, and uh, so we've been there about a year and a half or so, and uh, we've uh, we've seen a lot of good things. We've got a lot of good people over there, and uh, the Lord has brought us some new ones, and uh, just really trying to focus in on the Word and teaching the Word, and uh, and trying to be of service to the neighborhood around us. So. Yeah, that's awesome. By the way, Ryan and John's kids are in the house, so if you hear a few screeches, that's what that is. So, John, you, you go to church there in Cedarville? Yeah, we find our way to church every once in a while. Yeah. We're uh, members at Grace Baptist Church right there in Cedarville. It's in southwest Ohio near uh, the university. And I uh, teach Sunday school class there and preach on occasion and just active in the life of the church overall. All right. Very cool. Okay, so this episode, we're going to talk about the Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting. Is that what they call it? Yeah. Okay, I'm not super familiar with this, so I'm excited to learn. So, um, Ryan, why don't you give us just a brief overview for those who aren't super familiar with the convention and how that works. What is the Southern Baptist Convention? Yeah, so we think it's important because Trinity is part of the SBC, and uh, but a lot of our members aren't too familiar with it. So that's one of the reasons we want to touch base on this podcast. So the Southern Baptist Convention is a evangelical denomination and we, uh, statistically, we have about 15 million members. Uh, we're the largest uh, Protestant denomination in North America. And uh, kind of the, the core, the form of it is that we cooperate together for missions and evangelism, church planning, and those types of things. So we have a mission board that sends missionaries overseas. Uh, we have one that does missions in North America. And then we also have six seminaries uh, that train and educate guys who are going to go into the ministry. And then uh, we have an Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. And so, you know, all that's part of the Southern Baptist Convention as we work together and cooperate amongst uh, across the country, a bunch of churches, thousands of churches to see the the gospel advance. Nice. Good. Thanks. OK, so so every year churches can send messengers. They hold this meeting. Right. It's also broadcast online. Yeah. So what all takes place at this meeting? So technically, the Southern Baptist Convention only it meets like for two days, okay. and then the rest of the year it's run by what's known as the Executive Committee right. of the convention. So at this two day, it's like the world's largest business meeting, and so sounds wonderful. It sounds wonderful, yeah. And uh, and but while you're there, there's really several things that happen that are important. There's elections of officers, and those elections will dictate like who is a who will be appointed to trustee boards, which will run all the, the different entities. Uh, there's resolutions, and that's the convention speaking generally on cultural topics uh, um, that are usually pretty timely. Okay. 
And then there's kind of the time where all their entities will give a report. So you'll hear um, uh, from the missions boards, you'll hear from the seminaries. And what's great about that is because it's a business meeting and churches send messengers, which are just anyone who goes and represents that church, uh, there's a time for questions and answer. And anyone can ask a question. You just go to a microphone and and you can ask your question of any of the of any of the people who are there. And then uh, the last thing that happens are, and this is the fun part, you know, like, are like the motions. And these are just Southern Baptists have something that they think the convention needs to be doing. They come to a microphone and make a motion and uh, request that an entity or a seminary or a mission board or the convention itself speak to or do something. And so uh, and then that's what's really carried out for the rest of the year is what comes out of the convention, out of the annual meeting. Really, just those those questions at the thing or prop, propositions are worked out and they'll become resolutions the following year? Well, they can either, some of them will become resolutions. A lot of them are like actions. Like So they'll say that we want our seminary in Fort Worth to do this. Okay. And then the next convention, that, that seminary will have to come and respond to how they dealt with that. Oh, I see. Yeah. Right. So it's good accountability yeah. uh, once you understand what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. So... We want to talk about some of the maybe highs and lows, just quick hits. Like, what what do you think, Tristan? For you, were the, were the high points of the? Well, the, uh, the big one for this year was that the uh, the actual uh, what is it, the constitution of the convention was mm-hmm. was changed and or amended, and that hasn't happened. I don't think that's happened since two thousand. Wow. So it's not something that happens very often. And uh, the two main things were that um, that the convention can, I'll read from here, the convention can deem a church to be in friendly cooperation with the convention uh, and work with it if it does not, and this is the addition, act in a manner incon- inconsistent with the convention's beliefs regarding sexual abuse and also does not act to affirm, approve, or endorse discriminatory behavior on the basis of ethnicity. Hmm. So two pieces having to do with sexual abuse and race, sexual discrimination that are now actually in our documents that if a church decides that they're going to act against the way that Baptists believe or Southern Baptists believe, Mm -hmm. that they could be pretty much removed from cooperation in the SBC. Yeah. Okay, other highs, Ryan? Yeah, I thought it was a... we didn't actually attend, but one of the great things is they live stream it so you can watch uh, from wherever you are if you're not, not able to go. And so I felt like a couple of really good things happened this year. Um, one, just an incredible, you know, since missions is one of our main things, just a great commissioning time, great report from the IMB. Uh, money is good again. 60-some missionaries? Is that- yeah, they commissioned, I think, 30-something missionaries. Okay. And then the appeal was made, like, we are we are in a place to afford and ready to send more uh-huh. as soon as that we can. Gotcha. And uh so that's exciting. That's what we're about. That's what we want to be about. And then uh, I just noticed from the people making motions and the people on the platform that you just had a much greater uh, diversity, uh, men, women, ethnicities, and then a lot of younger people getting involved in the convention. And that's huge yeah. uh, for it to carry forward. You know, you've got to see kind of a passing of the torch. And I think I think we're kind of seeing that right now. Yeah. So I thought those were really encouraging things. Yeah. Anything else, Tristan? Yeah, I'll just comment one more time on what we spoke of a few minutes ago on the, the sexual abuse issue. Um, there are so many different ways that leadership can go with something like this. And so I really appreciate them getting out front of it and uh, not, they can't be accused now of sweeping anything under the rug. And this isn't an issue that was just happening 
you know, at one church. This right. in the article showed us that this was happening in big churches, small churches. It's something that we all have to deal with. And so it's nice to see a convention that's willing to speak. I mean, they brought in Rachel Denhollander, who's a big leader on this, and they're bringing experts in the, the Caring Well. What's the name of the website? That they, yeah, I think that's it, right? Church, church yeah, it's the Caring Well Challenge that the ERLC is leading the yeah. way in with the convention. Yep, Which yeah. is like a training mechanism for churches just to be really Put in prepared. a safety system yeah. and awareness and all that for individual churches. Yep. Right. And that's a great go-to, especially uh, I'm from a very small church. And so uh, all these extra things that the convention provides uh, are, are really nice that I can hand over to my leaders without having to pay to bring in a big speaker that we couldn't afford. You know, now we have some action steps and that's really helpful. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Okay. So some of the specific res resolutions you guys want to talk about, anything come to mind? Yeah, I think there were a couple of good ones. One of them was just, you know, we're 15 million members. You've got theological spectrums uh, and people all across the spectrum. So there was a resolution that really dealt with, hey, I mean, basically the gist of it was, let's agree to disagree on non-essentials and really cooperate around missions and the gospel. And that was really important, you know, just to kind of a spirit of cooperation rather than one of disagreement. Um so I thought that one was really good. We had a strong one on gender, uh, where we affirmed just a biblical position on on sexuality and gender that I think is just something that, you know, in the culture that we live in is really important to communicate and affirm. Yeah. You know, and people say, well, we did one of those not too long ago, but it may be one of those things that we just need to continue to come back and say, we're going to stay right yeah. here uh, yeah. on this. Uh, but for me, there was still, a, we had one resolution in particular that was just kind of a problem resolution, not with so much the topic, but maybe in how it was done. Tristan, what did you think about that? Yeah, so you're speaking about resolution nine on critical race theory and intersectionality. And uh, some of the stuff is hard at the convention having to do with like Robert's Rules of Order and some of those things. Yeah. Uh, the resolutions, uh, the voting on the resolutions is pushed back toward the end of the convention. And so uh, there were some procedural moves because of time to try to lump all, a lot of the resolutions together uh, rather than discussing each one individually. Uh, and to me, that's a problem, especially when we're trying to speak as a convention. And that resolution, Resolution 9, which was one of those on uh, intersectionality and critical race theory. Can you just summarize? Yeah, so... Uh, Basically, uh, the resolution is saying that we can use what's been learned uh, through research in critical race theory and intersectionality. We can use those ideas um, to understand and we can use it uh, even in, in understanding different groups and moving forward with the gospel. Um, but the critics of it were saying that there's really no way to divorce critical race theory and intersectionality from its beginnings. Uh, from those who created it and their and the bent that they had. So I I don't know for sure. Honestly, I haven't done the research on it to know yeah. if which side is right on that. But one of the uh, one of the opponents of the resolution was saying people just don't know enough for us to speak to it. Yeah. And I think he was right about that. Right. And so I feel like it was kind of pushed through uh, without people really knowing what they were voting on. Yeah. John, how much do you see of that, like on a college campus, about that issue of critical race theory and intersectionality? 
Yeah, so I think it definitely is a growing uh, kind of a set of ideas in our culture that uh, lens through which more and more people are viewing. Because obviously we watch the news, we see things about perhaps police shootings or other things related to race. And then this becomes a predominant lens that's applied to it. And the more young people are growing up, graduating high school, coming to college, they're, they're coming with some of those ideas, though they're not initially advanced in the university setting where I am. And so at that point, I think it's going to be a growing thing that we need to understand in our culture. And it's going to be something that perhaps needs to be evaluated. What are the philosophical presuppositions that undergird the approach uh, to race? And really, that's asking questions about humanity. So to view it theologically, we need to take a step back and say, no, how not just how can we benefit from these theories and say, okay, that gives us the idea. That's a very, very just modern way of adopting ideas mm-hmm. and kind of trying to baptize them into Christianity mm-hmm. rather than taking back saying, what are the presuppositions at play? How does that shape our thinking about humanity in comparison to what the scriptures teach us about humanity? Mm-hmm. And from that point, then advancing forward on a system or a way of thinking about race and ethnicity that's going to be kind of God honoring and it's consistency with scripture. That's the big difference. I think that's what you're pointing at Tristan of just that, that deep work. It takes time. It takes thought. It takes a lot of smart people. And that needs to be done before there's a hasty, you know, just affirmation. I mean, the, the proponents would argue like, Hey, the Bible's still authoritative. These are just tools that we can use to help understand and minister. And the opponents are saying it's a slippery slope that allows kind of a backdoor to undermining the authority of scripture. The bigger problem at the convention, as far as a resolution was, I mean, I wasn't there, but just from watching the reaction and then on social media, most people, if they were asked coming out of the conference, out of the annual meeting, couldn't have given you a definition of either one of those things. Yeah. And then they're being asked to vote whether or not to affirm it or not. Right. And so it's probably best that, a they would have pulled that resolution and one of our good seminary scholars write on it this year. Yeah. Uh, And then we have something to kind of work from um, a pros and cons deal. So I don't think it's going away. I mean, I think you'll see that dealt with throughout the year and probably next year's convention a little bit more. So, uh, and then Tristan was right too, man, just the Robert's rules of order. I mean, the way it was, was very quick. And so I think people felt like they didn't get a chance to, speak to it or against it the way they should have. Yeah. So when he says that, uh, just to explain what we're saying there. Uh, so this was, this was kind of pushed through and voted on and they were out of time. So the, the committee that decides how much time you get had to walk up to the front and say, okay, we'll give you five more minutes. And then they moved forward and then it was taking too long. So they walked forward and said, we'll give you five more minutes, but that was it. So we didn't have good thoughtful discussion there. Uh, that's too bad. Yeah. Yeah. So um, J.D. Greer, pastor in North Carolina. North Carolina. So he's the SBC president currently. Just got elected to a second term. Second term. Okay. Yeah. And so, the terms are one year long. One year long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's that's short. It's not a lot of time to get. No. You. I mean, the president basically does two things. I think, and you guys can add to this, but one, they're nominating the people who will be nominated to go on all the boards. Okay. So it's an important. Uh, it's an important position. But the other thing is through their speaking and writing and even like the theme of the conventions and things like this, they are really setting kind of an agenda. Mm-hmm. And Gers has been great with uh, 
two things he's done really good. The theme of the convention this year was the gospel above all. Mm -hmm. So there were great panels about, you know, like how to deal with secondary issues, how to make the gospel central, those types of things. Um, and then he's really worked with, uh, I believe it's the North American mission board on this campaign called who's your one, which is a, it from a church staff member, it's a phenomenal evangelism ministry in your church because instead of how most of them are, you work through something for a number of weeks and then it's like, what's next? Uh, this is the idea that you're just going to pray for one person and you're going to pray with pray and pray and share with that person. And if they come to know the Lord, fantastic. You know, if they don't, then you just start the process immediately over with another person that God leads you to or is already in your life. So it's one of these that can just be replicated over and over and over again. So I really appreciate the emphasis on allowing people to disagree on things that their local churches can decide on. But as a convention, we're going to be central to the gospel. And I think he's done a great job with that. That's great. I'll just tag on to that. Uh, the gospel emphasis that Greer has brought in the last year has been great. Uh, the who's your one thing he first, uh, or I first became aware of that last year at our Oklahoma uh, conference or convention. Greer was there to speak and he mentioned it and he told us he would be rolling something out. So I actually emailed with his church and, and they kind of explained to me how would we would present it. So we rolled it out at Alameda right before Easter. And this is just a personal testimony that uh, after that time happened, we had a lady show up at the church and uh, she started coming with her family who'd never been there before. And last week I uh, did her for funeral. She was the one for her daughter. And so her daughter and her whole family had prayed for her. She accepted the Lord. I got to baptize her before she went to go be with Jesus. So that's a great, great, great testimony. That's awesome. All right, so uh, complementarianism was another uh, strand, uh, something that was brought up a few times in the convention. So, John, what what was going on? What's the discussion around complementarianism? Well, or Ryan, yeah, okay, I'll let Ryan jump in on yeah, this. I'll one. jump in as quick and set John up pretty good. <laughs> He's a very, uh, yeah, safe so waters. This has been kind of brewing within the convention, depending on who you talk to, and different leaders and things for a while. Uh, Beth Moore's played a big role in it. It's just dominated the social media and all of this stuff. And yeah, you've done I, all her Bible study, so you're you're up to date on. I have read a lot of yeah. That's a different story. That's a different podcast. Oh. <laughs> but uh, so the idea, I mean, just definitionally, complementarianism said there are distinct roles that men and women are created equal before God, but He has distinct roles, including that the office of pastor and the gift of teaching is reserved or teaching the church is reserved for men in the church. The other position would be egalitarian, and that would say that the that the positions in the church are open, really offices of the church are open to either men or women. So there were lots of discussions at the convention, but this has been going on before about like soft complementarianism and hard complementarianism. Some kind of warning that the SBC is on a free fall to egalitarianism and all these things. And so Greer set up a couple panels, and and so my take on it is and is. I don't see any Southern Baptist churches that I know of, and maybe there are, but none that I know of, that are actively seeking to ordain women to the office of elder or pastor and have a desire for a woman to lead the church. Mm -hmm. I do think there are questions about what it looks like within a local church under the authority of the elders and pastors of that church. 
And I think that a lot of that is just different churches will choose to handle that in different ways. Um, I don't think it needs to be the wedge issue that it's kind of being. I don't think it's worth disfellowshipping. I don't think, you know, I think there are some people who are like, you know, if a woman ever speaks publicly in a church, you know, that church is liberal and heading down this track. I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, I think it's clear. I mean, scripture, you have to do all kinds of, all kinds of explanations to move away from that. The office of pastor is for men. Right. Uh, so anyway, it's, I think it's going to be an issue though that stays with us. Huh. Um, but that's just my take on it. I think maybe one of those distinguishing points is those who would look at what scripture says about the office of pastor is reserved for men. Yeah. Mm-hmm. According to some pretty clear new Testament passages. Uh, and then others who would say in addition to that, that functions that the pastor might serve or an elder might serve like teaching, mm-hmm. like shepherding, things like that, that even if somebody's not holding the office, that the logic of complementarianism, the logic of those passages would also apply to say that even if there's uh, perhaps an explanation that a point of ministry is being carried out under the authority of an elder or things like that, if that function is by all practical uh, evidences, a, an elder-like function that is reserved for the office of elder, then why be inconsistent? Right. I think is the the logic for kind of seeking to apply a consistent complementarianism. And wherever you go down that path, uh, asking those practical questions, there will always be some difficult questions to answer in any unique local Baptist church setting based off of the ministry that godly women are doing. Right. Yeah. Right. And I think that that is the discussion that needs to be had with some patience and, you know, some some hard fought clarity, charity to go along with that. Yeah. And that's the point, though, the discussion. Yeah. Uh, because I think the social media age has brought on this or has furthered this idea that we can't discuss it, that if you're on one side, you say, well, it's my way or the highway. And the other side says the exact same thing. Al Mohler brought this point out. Well, that. He'd been listening to some of the discussion, I think, on Twitter, and it was said at one point, well, we we cannot talk to the other side if they're not willing to come over here. And that, that shuts it down. Right. And that's pointless. Uh, as Baptists, we know that in Baptist history, Baptists have always disagreed about something. Mm-hmm. And so we can do that and still cooperate on the gospel and missions and all these other things without saying it's, you know, my way or the highway. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I agree. And sure. And, and from, from my experience, I we would encourage women to and take some of those leadership roles, especially obviously o- over women, but man, te- you want to, you got an idea for a class. You feel like Lord's gift to you in an area. Yeah. Let's get you, you know? Yeah. I think some of this is coming from that a little bit. And this is just my observation a little bit, right? That some of the guys that are the absolute maddest and feel like the convention is sliding away uh, towards this egalitarian deal have probably been some that have been the least focused on discipling and developing uh, the women in their church. And so if you just hand that ministry over to Beth Moore books and videos, uh, when Titus two gives us a pretty clear model on what it's supposed to look like within the church, and that's under the pastoral leadership. uh, If you're really equipping the women of the church to function the way that God has intended, there's going to be a lot of, ways that we probably never even imagined that they could flourish in that. Right. And I think that's kind of where we ought to, where a lot of the discussion ought to be focused on. Yeah. It's like, what could that's it good. look like? Not what is it limited to, but what 
what are the possibilities? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's a great way to look at it. And to, to add to my point a second ago, if this podcast is released on Twitter, then those on the far left will say that we've we've gone way too far right, and those on the far right will say that we've gone way too far yeah, left. That's, so that's true. We'll get that. I like that. <laughs> so wrapping up here, guys. Um, so for you know those who are listening to this who maybe didn't know what egalitarianism was or didn't know what even SBC stood for before they yeah. started listening to this, what, you know, leaders on the ground, church leaders in their local body, what are some takeaways? What are some things moving forward? What, what would we want them to take away from this year's SBC? I guess? Well, I mean, I would leave encouraged, you know, I mean, like the conservative resurgence was, kind of a battle for the Bible that was fought in the 70s and 80s and 90s. And because of the courage and the faithfulness of that generation, we we got to send 30 new people to the mission fields. Yeah. And while other denominations are fighting about ordaining homosexuals yeah. or doing homosexual marriage or not understanding and being able to have a statement on gender or really speak truth to the culture, we're saying we can do all those things and we want to see the gospel move forward. And so I think it's a great time. Our seminaries are healthy. We've got a bunch of new entity heads that are younger and bringing great excitement to these different schools and they're thriving. So I would say, you know, we're, we've got blemishes. We've got problems like everyone else. But all in all, it's a pretty encouraging time to be a Southern Baptist. Yeah. And uh, it's pretty exciting to see us. Things are going on both in North American Mission Board and the International yeah. Mission Board church planning, these kinds of things yeah. just seem to be kind of the focus. Yeah, that's great. Do you guys anything? So I think one of the big takeaways of a convention like this is to be reminded, especially for just the average church member who may not keep a pulse on all these issues day to day in the convention, which you're actually a part of, is just to be reminded that it's a dark culture. It's a lost mm -hmm. world yep. and that we need each other. But mm -hmm. uh, practically, you know, we are one in Christ in one spirit in our salvation, which then creates a unity. And to see some of that play itself out um, in a big family gathering and a big business session like the Southern Baptist Convention and come out speaking to issues in a dark culture like sexual assault, like racism, mm -hmm. uh, like the, the roles of, of men and women in the church and in society. And all of these sorts of things is to come back to a claim that the word of God speaks most clearly to all of these issues, brings ultimate light and blessing when we take, take God at his word and try to walk forward in obedience. And I think that that's, uh, like Ryan said, some of the, the hope for the future that we see is that there is still very much a, a passionate concern to hold to the word of God and live faithfully by it. And as long as that's there, then uh, hopefully the hand of God is on his people to just uh, add to his kingdom and multiply disciples. Yeah, for me, the gospel focus is really big. And also just just in me watching it, you know, last year I got to go this year, watched it online. I can uh, I can go back to my people and I have and told them, you know, here's where uh, your cooperative dollars have gone. They've gone to these missionaries going to this continent. You know, uh, I think that's really good for them to see that. Yeah. Uh, but also, once again, and you alluded to this, John, uh, the sexual abuse issue, I think, is so so key that we hit on this uh, as a as a convention body, because you know, 30 years from now, if there had been issues, no one's going to be able to look back and say, 
hey, well, they just swept it under the rug. They didn't care. You know, the church doesn't care about victims. They they hide it or they they look out for abusers, not victims. You know, we've shown, we've spoken to this yeah. uh, in in action steps as, as well as in voice. And I think that's very important yeah. because we have a God who cares about victims and uh, and who seeks for their healing. And so I think it's good that we show that. That's right. All right, we'll end on that. So thanks for joining us uh, on this episode of Equipped. We'll see you next time.